The Howling Monkey Radio Network presents Dispatches of Note. And now, another episode of Intense History with Don Carlo. Over the next eight and a half hours of this episode of Intense History, we're going to be looking at the night before Christmas, Christmas Eve, December 24. And I can never really think about December 24 without thinking back to 1914. On around December 24, 25, was the famous Christmas peace, the Christmas armistice, the Christmas treaty, between the soldiers fighting in World War One on the Western Front. It's said that the soldiers, German, British, American, got out of their trenches and greeted each other with a Merry Christmas, and maybe even shared a meal. Maybe that's apocryphal, I don't know. But whatever the case may be, it must have been a great relief coming out of the trenches. The trenches in World War I were often filled with rainwater. If you sat down, you'd sink into the mud. You could never really get dry as a soldier in the trenches. Now imagine your boots, or your shoes if you didn't have boots, filled with that rainwater. Well, your feet would never be able to dry out. And you know that feet and skin, when exposed to water for too long a period of time, will start start to rot away. By the time the Treaty of Versailles was signed on June 28, 1919, it's estimated that approximately one-third of the British Army had lost their feet and were walking on stumps because they'd rotted away. Uh, same estimate for the American forces. The French, closer to a quarter. By some estimates, the German army was 65% footless by the time World War I came to an end. Now, you may be thinking to yourself an obvious solution would have been to take off their boots, their shoes. And of course, that would help the feet dry. But what that doesn't take into account was that there was an enemy in World War One, a factor that the soldiers feared, maybe even more than bullets or mustard gas. And that was rats. As soon as a soldier would take off his boot, he would be swarmed by, by a legion of rats who would gnaw chunks out of his feet. So a soldier was faced with the Scylla and Charybdis of rats versus water. It's a very difficult choice. In any event, t'was the night before Christmas when all through the house, and you figure this was a modern house made of modern materials, such as brick or stone. Of course, stone masonry has been around for a very long time, so you can't assume, though, that stone houses will be permanent or last forever. I mean, look at the Hittites. These were people who lived in what's now Turkey and Syria. They had homes made primarily of stone, but in 1180 BC, their empire 
just suddenly vanished. Their stone houses could not save them. So all through the house, it was a modern house, it was the night before Christmas and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse, or fortunately a rat, which could eat your feet as they did in World War I. Not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care, hanged with care, much as the people, the women, accused of witchcraft were on Proctor's Ledge in Salem, Massachusetts in 1692. Many people, the common belief is that witches were burned at the stake. The truth is, most were hanged. The stockings were hung by the chimney with care in hopes that St. Nicholas soon would be there. St. Nicholas, of course, being a saint, a patron saint, if you will, of sailors, merchants, and prostitutes. Prior to canonization, the Catholic Church looks at candidates for sainthood and determine if they have performed miracles as part of the process. Legend has it that one of St. Nicholas's miracles was resurrecting some children who had been murdered and stored in brine by an unscrupulous butcher. In any case, St. Nicholas died uh, at the age of 73. The children were nestled all snug in their beds, Presumably, so were the children of Rome in 410 A.D. when the Visigoths, under King Alaric, sacked and burned Rome to the ground. I guess that would have included many, many snugly nestled children. The children were nestled all snug in their bed while visions of sugar plums danced in their heads. Now, this could be a dream or it could be what some would call a mass hallucination. But of course, the science behind that is, well, a little suspect. There's no scientific evidence that there's such a thing as mass hallucinations. Although there are a number of historic incidences of mass hysteria. Uh, one example of that would be the Halifax Slasher. That was a situation where people in Halifax claimed in the 1920s that a mysterious man with uh, a mallet and buckled shoes was attacking people. Others said he had a knife. Others said he had a razor and, and so on. They called him the Halifax Slasher. When Scotland Yard investigated, they found no instances of actual assaults and chalked it up to mass hysteria. Interesting what our mind can do when fed by others. I just find this sort of thing very interesting. So, okay, the children were nestled, they were snug in their beds, visions of sugar plums danced in their heads, and Mama in her kerchief and I in my cap had just settled down for a long winter's nap. Of course, for some people, that nap can last longer than others. Perhaps some, it can last forever, particularly people who have developed Brugada syndrome or sudden arrhythmic death syndrome or SADS that affects 
people all around the world. It's rare, but it happens. When out on the lawn arose such a clatter, I sprang from my bed to see what was the matter. Away to the window I flew like a flash, a flash here meaning quickly, not like a flash of a nuclear weapon, of an atomic bomb. I flew like a flash, uh, tore open the shutters and threw up the sash. The moon on the breast of the new-fallen snow gave a luster of midday to objects below. Snow can be a real decisive element in any form of warfare. For example, when Sweden tried to invade Trondheim with 6,000 men, half of them died due to exposure to the snow during the Carolian Death March between 1718 and 1719. When what to my wondering eyes did appear but a miniature sleigh and eight tiny reindeer. Sleighs rarely play a role in warfare, but there is one fairly unusual example to the contrary. If we go back, we're talking about our friends, the Swedes, again. This goes back, though, to 1678, when the Swedes were trying to invade what we'd call Prussia. The Swedes attempted the invasion, they failed, and the Prussian forces pushed them out. But instead of just letting them flee to either escape or gain supplies... The Prussian forces mounted sleighs, horse-drawn sleighs, and drove into the Swedish forces, cutting them off. As a result, a large number of the Swedish forces simply died of hypothermia or starvation. Uh, okay, a miniature sleigh, eight tiny reindeer. With a little old driver, so lively and quick, I knew in a moment he must be St. Nick. More rapid than eagles, his coursers they came. Eagles feature strongly in more horrible stories. There's, there's a legendary eagle execution method of the Vikings that may or may not have been truly a thing that occurred. The blood eagle, they called it, and there's stories, well that the victims would have their backs flayed open and then their, their ribs would be inverted to appear to be wings. It's a gruesome story. And, of course, the victims would be alive the entire time. And you can imagine how excruciating that pain would be to have the ribs inverted while you're alive. And it's just so horrible to even think about and it may not even be true, but those are the stories. I'm not a historian. Uh, I just am a fan of history. So take it with a grain of salt. And more rapid than eagles, his coursers they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now Dasher, now Dancer, now Prancer and Vixen, on Comet, on Cupid, on Donner and Blitzen. To the top of the porch... To the top of the wall, now dash away, dash away, dash away, all 
the reindeer could fly. They're Santa's reindeer, so they they fly. Now, can reindeer really fly? There's stories, of course, that say no, uh, but there are stories that say yes. In fact, one account from 1642 from the German writer Osgood Begeroth says as follows. It was a cold winter night and we were standing in the yard. We looked into the sky and saw what appeared at first to be enormous birds. But upon closer inspection, my wife said, My goodness, those appear to be reindeer. And I laughed at her until I looked. And then I saw, and then I believed that they were reindeer. And we had a long discussion about that with the people of the town. As dry leaves before the wild hurricane fly, when they meet with an obstacle, mount to the sky. Now, of course, hurricanes can be particularly frightening. The most deadly occurred in 1900 in Texas. The Great Galveston Storm, it killed eight to 12,000 people. So up to the housetop, the coursers they flew with a sleigh full of toys and St. Nicholas too. And then in a twinkling, I heard on the roof the prancing and pawing of each little hoof. Prancing brings to mind to me St. Vitus's dance or the dancing disease that affected uh, portions of Europe in the 14th, 15th, 16th centuries. The biggest outbreak occurred during the Dancing Plague of 1518 in Strasbourg. Uh, there, a woman started dancing in the street, and over time, more and more and more people joined her, so that within a month, there were 400 people dancing in the streets uncontrollably. Many of them died of heart attacks. As I drew in my head and was turning around, down the chimney St. Nicholas came with a bound. Chimneys, historically, are not a good place for people to be. It was not uncommon for chimney sweeps in London in the 18th, early 19th centuries to get stuck in them and stay there until they died. He was dressed all in fur from his head to his foot, and his clothes were all tarnished with ashes and soot. You can only imagine how much ashes and soot the people of Pompeii were covered in in 79 AD when Mount Vesuvius erupted. Uh, you can still go to Pompeii today and see the bodies of the people frozen in time as they were on the day that volcano erupted. But certainly, they were covered in soot. A bundle of toys he had flung on his back, and he looked like a peddler just opening his sack. You can travel to the Ormocto River watershed in New Brunswick, Canada, and there you will find a historic site called the Murder of the Peddler Historic Site. It was a site uh, where in 1885 a peddler was murdered on the road, uh, and it remained unsolved. For three years. His eyes, how they twinkled. His dimples, how merry. His cheeks were like roses. His nose, like a cherry. And of course, cherries play into at least one 
maybe urban legend, maybe fact, of how President Zachary Taylor died in 1850 after only being in office for some 16 months. It's believed, or the story goes, that on the 4th of July, uh, it was a very hot 4th of July, Taylor was out at the Washington Monument, or where the Washington Monument was being built, and it is said that he ate a large amount of cherries and drank some ice-cold milk, and that when he returned to the White House, he died as a result. Some historians say that's not the case, but many believe that story to be true. His droll little mouth was drawn up like a bow, and the beard of his chin was as white as the snow. Of course, some famous murderers had beards. Think about, of course, Charles Manson. He's famous for having a beard. But perhaps one of the most deadly serial killers in the world was Dr. Harold Shipman, or Dr. Death, who supposedly killed over 200 people in 1972. Or at least that's when his spree began. I'm not saying everyone who has a beard is a murderer. I'm just saying that some murderers did have beards. The stump of his pipe he held in his teeth, and the smoke it encircled his head like a wreath. He had a broad face and a little round belly that shook when he laughed like a bowl full of jelly. Not many people realize it, but you can choke on jelly. It, it has happened. He was chubby and plump, a right jolly old elf, and I laughed when I saw him in spite of myself. A wink of his eye and a twist of his head soon gave me to know I had nothing to dread. Of course, if you were a combatant in the Lydian-Persian War at the Battle of Thimbra in 547 BC, you would have much to dread. 100,000 people are estimated to have died in that battle. He spoke not a word, but went straight to his work and filled all the stockings, then turned with a jerk and laying his finger aside of his nose and giving a nod up the chimney, he rose. He sprang to his sleigh, to his team gave a whistle, and away they all flew like the down of a thistle. The description of how St. Nicholas flew there puts me to mind of of. Maybe being hurled by a catapult, yeah? Catapults, of course, an ancient form of weaponry, very effective. We tend to think of them in medieval times, you know, laying sieges to castle, hurling giant boulders. But the catapult as we know it may have gone back to ancient China, where the use of mangonels go back maybe as far as the 4th century B.C. There are descriptions in ancient, in ancient texts of, of mangonels throwing hollowed-out logs with burning charcoal at enemies. Can you imagine that? You're standing there waiting to fight an army, and you're suddenly hit by a flying log that's on fire. That is not a good day for you to have. But I heard him exclaim... As he drove out of sight, Merry Christmas to all, and to all, a good night.
This program is brought to you by Law Dog Productions, LLC. We're on the web at howlingmonkeyradio.com, where you can find our other shows and content. You can also learn about ways to support our efforts there. You can reach us through our email address, info at howlingmonkeyradio.com.